Hey there, it's Jeremy Myers, and you are listening to the Redeeming God Podcast. So today we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. I believe if you've listened to this podcast long enough, you know that I firmly believe that the Bible teaches that we receive eternal life by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. I hope you believe that as well. Sort of uh, some of the central rallying cries of the Reformation. Okay, now, the question though is, uh, that what Paul is teaching in Ephesians 2, 8, 9? You know the verse? Paul writes, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. All right, so is Paul teaching there that we receive eternal life by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone? A lot of the central key terms are there, and so a lot of Christians think that, yes, that is a central verse in the Bible, which teaches uh, that eternal life is by grace through faith in Jesus. Okay? I am not one of those Christians. I do not believe that that is what Paul has in mind in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Today we're going to talk about what I think Paul is actually teaching in these verses, Okay? Before we get to that, though, we do have a question from a reader about whether or not it is sinful for Christians to engage in New Age practices. You have now. So I did receive this question from a reader, and uh, here is what she wrote. I feel like a lot of Christians are against things like manifesting, meditation, and positive affirmations. I do believe Jesus died for my sins— and he is the way to heaven. But most of my day is centered around these New Age practices because they help me clear up the doubt and fear in my life and bring me to a better mental state and ultimately so much more happiness. Is there anything wrong with this, and should I feel guilty for it? Is this talked about in any of your books? I would love to hear more about what you have to say. I appreciate your response. It uh, was a weight lifted off my shoulders. Okay, so this is a great question, and to my knowledge, I have not answered this elsewhere or written about it anywhere. I sort of feel like in the back of my mind there might have been something I wrote on this years and years ago, uh, but I searched my website and I couldn't find it, so either it's not on there or, or I'm, I'm misremembering. Uh, so either way, though, let me try to sort of address this here real quickly uh, in, in the letter from a reader section of this podcast. Okay, so first of all, before we sort of address the question, let me sort of give you a principle uh, that sort of helps guide my life in how I approach questions of biblical morality, okay? There's sort of, when Christians approach how to live life, there's sort of two general ways that people approach how to apply the Bible to life, okay? The first one is that some people think we should only be doing the things that the Bible commands, okay? So if the Bible doesn't command something, then we shouldn't do it. Obviously, if the Bible prohibits something, we shouldn't do it. Uh, but uh, we can't really do it unless the Bible says it's okay. Okay, that's the first approach. The second approach is that we can do anything the Bible doesn't expressly prohibit. Okay, so uh, once again, if the Bible does prohibit something, we can't do it. But um, if the Bible doesn't really talk about it or doesn't prohibit it, then it's okay, that it's not sinful. All right. So the first group, uh, the, the one that sort of th says that we can't do it unless the Bible says it's okay, uh, 
it's a little bit harder to live by that because obviously the Bible was written 2,000 years ago. So there's a lot of issues and questions we face today uh, that the Bible obviously cannot and did not talk about because these issues weren't in existence back then. For example, can we use electricity? <laughs> well, the Bible didn't have electricity. Um, can we drive cars? Can we uh, read magazines? Can we uh, fly in airplanes? Okay. Uh, can we speak English? <laughs> okay, maybe a bit of an extreme example there, but you get the idea. Now, uh, you see why it's almost impossible to, to consistently live with that sort of approach to biblical morality. Yet there are some groups that try, uh, like for the example, the Amish. Now, they have cultural and traditional reasons for not using uh, vehicles and electricity and telephones and things like that, or at least not owning them. They often use them, even though they don't own them. Completely separate issue. Uh, and and uh, it's really simplistic to say that they're trying to follow this uh, approach to biblical morality as the reason that they don't use those things. But again, uh, that is part of the reason. They only want to, and, you know, one of the reasons that they, they live this way is they only want to do the things that are talked about in the Bible. Okay, so they drive carts and carriages with horses because that is what's talked about in the Bible. Now, ironically, the, the carriages that they, and even a lot of the tools and other things that they use, aren't talked about in the Bible either. But again, that just shows how difficult it is to live uh, according to that standard of biblical morality. The other way is, in a, in a way, much easier to live, uh, but it has its own sets of pitfalls. The other way is the way I try to live my life, and uh, most Christians follow this sort of approach, and that is... Uh, we should obviously we shouldn't be doing the things the Bible prohibits, but uh, if the Bible doesn't speak about something, then uh, you know we are allowed to do it uh, within reason. Okay, um, so, so so that's sort of my approach to to biblical morality and a lot of, as well. Now, again, lots of Christians come up with some strange rules for this. Like for example, back in the 40s and 50s, it was sinful to play cards. You know, to use a, a set of playing cards. Even if you're not playing poker or gambling, you know, just you can't you can't play cards. Well, uh, the Bible doesn't forbid playing cards. <laughs> uh, so it, it, and the cards didn't exist back then in that way. Gambling did, of course. Uh, but I can't think of a passage in the Bible that even forbids gambling. Maybe a poor use of money. But, um, you know, maybe it, uh, it related to greed of some sort, but uh, gambling itself isn't really talked about. So anyway, uh, why did they in the 40s and 50s think that cards were evil, were sinful? I don't honestly know. Uh, I've never really looked into it. Uh, they probably had their reasons. Maybe some pastors had some Bible verses to back up their reasons. I don't know. Okay. But um, the thing is, is I think playing, using cards is okay. Playing cards is fine. Uh, because, in my opinion, the Bible doesn't forbid it. Again, you don't want to fall into greed or anything like that, because the Bible does forbid greed. Uh, greed is sinful. Okay? So, uh, now, this second approach also has problems. Like, for example, the Bible never expressly forbids slavery. But we know slavery is wrong. Uh, we have come to that conclusion. And I believe that there are practices and, and ideals in the Bible that leads us to the conclusion that slavery is evil. And so that's why we should all be against all forms of slavery. All right? And uh, there's this form of hermeneutics, uh, ways of studying the Bible called trajectory hermeneutics that I have written about elsewhere. I'll just link to that, uh, and that helps us come to those conclusions. All that to say, how does this help us with New Age practices? Okay, uh, let me just say a little caveat here, a little disclaimer. I am fairly ignorant of most New Age practices. 
I, I pretty much on a on a scale of zero to one hundred of knowledge of new age practices, I'm right down about one. Uh, I've never done any reading on them. I've never had any friends who engage in them or practice them. The only knowledge I have pretty much is a little bit tidbits I've heard here and there over the last couple of decades. And then a little bit of reading and some YouTube videos I watched in preparation for this podcast study. So anyway, what I could be saying here, please take it with a grain of salt with that in mind. Based on my brief and very basic study and understanding of New Age practices, and because I have this, this belief that if the Bible doesn't forbid it, uh, it, it might be okay to practice within reason, okay? It seems to me that many of the New Age practices are probably fine to participate in, um, as long as they are not contradicting clear biblical teachings. Okay, there are a couple things, like many New Age people believe that we are all mini-gods of some sort. That's that's wrong. Uh, we, would, we don't want to hold that belief. Many New Age people believe that uh, sort of a universalistic, all people are going to end up in whatever it is. I don't know if they believe in God or nirvana or what it is, but sort of this universalist idea. I don't agree with that either, and I don't think the Bible agrees with that. Okay, but what about this idea? This was from the reader specifically, manifesting the law of attraction. Again, I'm not fully sure what these are. I, 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 the reading I did, it's sort of like sort of the power positive thinking idea. You, you say things and you, you try to get into union with the universe or something like that and uh, bring things into reality for your life, your dreams and goals and ambitions and desires. Bring those into to reality in your life, manifest them into reality for your life, okay? And um, using this law of attraction to bring good things to your life that you want. Okay, <clears throat> well, personally, I'm not a fan of that. Uh, maybe, but 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 let's but let's put it. Uh, let's talk about it this way. This really is not so different than prayer. Okay, so if you want to engage in manifesting or the law of attraction, why don't you just um, turn it a little bit? And rather than manifest or, or practice the law of attraction, why don't you spend some time in a conversation with God about your dreams and your hopes and your desires and your ambitions? That's what the Bible does talk about. Now, is manifesting the law of attraction by itself evil and sinful? I don't know. Probably not. But um, it sort of seems like those things are very similar to prayer, except having God stripped out of it. We never want to take God out of anything. Okay, uh, a lot of these practices in other religions, or even in New Age, or even in in secular society, are the same things that Christianity encourages and teaches and instructs us to do. But the things in secular society and other religion have stripped God away from those things, and that's what we should not do. So, look, if you want to uh, do power positive thinking, fine, go ahead. But guess what? Do it uh, in relation to who you are in Jesus Christ. Uh, read and study scripture to find out who you are, who, who Jesus declares you to be as a believer in Jesus, uh, how we are made in the image and likeness of God, and we are to represent the image and likeness of Jesus on this earth, okay? Who you are, your, your Christ-likeness. That's power positive thinking, because it's, it's Christ thinking. Uh, you can talk about uh, as far as all the promises that God has made for you, okay? A law of attraction. Well, how about the law of the promises of God? Uh, claiming. I'm not a, I'm not a, I do not believe in name it and claim it theology, but there is some truth to the fact that God has made clear-cut promises in Scripture about who we are, what he's done for us, and what he will do for us, what he wants for us in the future. 
So look, you want law of attraction? Great. Do law of God's promises or something like that and claim those. Think about those. Uh, Bring those into reality in your life by recognizing by faith that they are true of you. Okay, so I I think you're sort of getting the idea here. Look, if you want to engage in these new age practices, uh, put put the Christian twist. What they've done is taken the Christian twist off of not the Christian twist, the Christian principles off of them and sort of their their own secular uh, Eastern mysticism twist on them. All right, uh, put put Jesus back in. Don't don't leave Jesus out of these things. Uh, include a conversation with God in these. Include biblical principles, biblical truths, biblical promises in these things. And then you can still engage in them sort of in meditation and uh, meditating on the scriptures and promises and truths of scripture and uh, praying, uh, you know, quote unquote, manifesting the truths of God in your life or whatever, having a conversation with God, uh, thinking positively about yourself in relation to the truths of scripture. And you can still do the practices, but now you're doing them in a biblical and helpful and healthy way. Okay, that's my sort of opinion on this based, again, on a very limited understanding of New Age practices and, and beliefs. Okay, like you may have a different opinion. Maybe you've read and studied these in much more detail than I have. And if that's the case, I am definitely open to input and insight and instruction from other people. You can do that by leaving a comment on this podcast episode down in the comment section and uh, either agree or disagree with me, whatever, help help me out. And also maybe also the reader who sent in this question, uh, she might read some of those comments as well, and it might be helpful. Okay, so uh, that's my brief explanation of uh, that, that answer, that question about New Age practices. Let's get into our study then of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. All right, so this study was uh, quite difficult for me to prepare, and that is because I could spend hours talking about Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Uh, there's many various ways of understanding this verse. I could have talked about those. I almost did. There's several uh, very important key terms in this verse. Uh, For example, the terms grace, the the term saved, the term faith, even this mention of the the, the phrase gift of God at the end of verse 8. All of those deserve consideration. I have talked about all those, or I will talk about all those in my Gospel Dictionary online course. Um. But let me just try to, and so that would just be a little bit of what we could talk about from this verse. But let me just try to summarize everything for you. I think this is the best approach. Just a quick summary so you can understand. I don't want to overwhelm you with detail. All right. Uh, the, the traditional understanding of, probably that's the place to begin, a quick summary of the traditional understanding of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Uh, let me read the verse first, uh, the two verses. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 say, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Okay, so the traditional understanding of Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and I pretty much guarantee the way you have been taught to think about and read this verse, is that Paul is telling us how to receive eternal life, or how God has offered eternal life to us. By the way, I used to teach that very thing in the past for many, many, many years. I have an old sermon on my website from on Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, where I taught this very thing, and it's on my website right now. You can go read it if you'd like. It's up there in the scripture section from the menu at, 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 up top. And so I thought and taught, as many other Christians have and continue to do, that Paul is telling us 
the uh, the biblical truth here, it is a biblical truth, that uh, we receive eternal life by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And I thought Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is a verse that proves this. Many Christians think the same thing. Now, why do we think that? Why did Christians think that? Uh, why did I teach that in the past? It's because of that word saved. Uh, by grace are you saved through faith. Again, how do most Christians understand the word saved? Well, most Christians think that the word saved means uh, forgiveness of sins, receiving eternal life, so you can go to heaven when you die. You know, something along those lines. And so, as since most people think that that's what the word saved means, sort of a synonym for receive eternal life, then when they read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, they think that's what Paul is talking about. For by grace you have received eternal life through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Okay, And so that's what causes this, what I think, this, this misunderstanding, which is the traditional understanding of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. I want to clarify, I just need to make sure I say this again. I do believe that eternal life is received freely by God's grace through faith in Jesus. When you believe in Jesus for eternal life, you are freely given that eternal life. God gives it to you freely as an act of his grace, as a gift from him. Okay? So the Bible does teach that, and the Bible teaches that everywhere. So I want to make sure I talk about that. Uh, by the way, the, the rest of this verse, especially there at the end of verse uh, 8, with this talk about the gift of God, there's a whole debate about that as well. What does the gift refer to? Is it the grace? Is it the salvation? The saved? Is it the faith? In English, it would refer to the, 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 the closest antecedent, which would be faith. And so there's many... Christians, most in the Calvinistic, if you know what that is, most in the Calvinistic circle that think that the the gift is referring to faith. So they're saying that faith is a gift from God because we as humans can't actually believe on our own. Big debate. I'm not going to get into it here. I've written a lot on it elsewhere. I'm going to include links, several links here, which you can go read my some of my studies on that. Uh, just briefly, the explanation, though, is that in the Greek, the word gift, um, it is is the gift of God. Uh, the word it, it cannot refer back to faith because they do not agree in gender. Uh, it's a little technical explanation. Greek has three genders, just like English and other language, uh, masculine, feminine, and neuter. Anyway, um, the, the, the pronoun it has to refer back to uh, what it, whatever it's referring to in the same gender, and it doesn't. It's not referring to faith. Faith is feminine. And the word it here, I, be, I believe, is neuter. Okay, so anyway, it, it can't refer to faith. What does it refer to? And my belief is it refers to the entire thing that Paul's talking about. By grace are you saved through faith. The whole package, okay, this whole thing that God did to step in and rescue us and deliver us, all of that is the gift of God. Not just the grace, not just the salvation, not just the faith, the whole offer, okay, the whole revelation is the gift of God. So that's my opinion. You can read those notes on a on some of my other studies. Okay? So, all that to say, even though the Bible does teach everywhere that eternal life is by grace alone, through faith alone, I do not think that that is what Paul is teaching here in verses 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is not one of the verses in the Bible that teaches that eternal life is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And the reason I believe that, I hold that, that I teach that, and I'm going to show it to you here, is because of that word salvation. 
If you listen to last week's study uh, on Ephesians 2 verses 5 through 7, we basically looked at the word salvation in detail in Ephesians chapter 2, in the context. And in that process, I told you that uh, what you need to do whenever you see the word saved or salvation in the Bible is, first of all, remember that it does not refer to eternal life, or at least, um, yeah, it, it doesn't. And so what you need to do to see that is take the word saved or salvation out, put in a good translation of the Greek word, and put in deliverance or delivered, and then look in the context to see what the person is delivered from. Okay, And when you do that to every use of the word saved or salvation in the Bible, and I have done this study, by the way, it's very time-consuming, but you will see if you do this study that there is no single verse in the entire Bible where the word saved or salvation in context refers to receiving eternal life. Not one. Okay? Not even here in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And that's the study we did last time. We looked in the context. We saw this word saved. Uh, we took it out. We put in the word delivered. We looked at the context, and we discovered that the deliverance, the thing we are delivered from, God is delivering us, quote-unquote, saving us, okay, from what? Everything he talked about in verses 1 through 3, this bondage and slavery, that the human race is involved in to blame and accusation and scapegoating and violence. This way of thinking and, and, and uh, living rules and dominates our world. And it has ever since Cain murdered Abel. It was sort of the founding murder. The world runs on violence. Uh, we humans, we can't think of, we can't imagine, we know of no other way to live. Okay? Uh, and, and so what Paul is saying here is God through the person and work of Jesus Christ, out of his great love for us, he came and he rescued us. He delivered us. He saved us from that way of living. He showed us a completely different way to live life. Okay? This new way of life is what we were made for originally, when God placed Adam and Eve in the garden. And what God has always modeled for us, wanted for us, instructed us to live— and um, showed us how to live in Jesus. Okay, and, and this whole revelation, this deliverance, God did uh, for us out of his grace. And how do, we, how do we live this way? We live it by faith, which is what Paul is talking about here. We believe that this is the right way to live because this is what God wants, and this is how Jesus showed us to live. And when we accept this gift of God by grace, and we walk in it by faith— then we will be saved. We will be delivered from this, this life of death that enslaves humanity. Okay? So that's what I think these verses mean. Ephesians 2.8.9 is not about how to go to heaven when you die, how to receive eternal life. It's about how God stepped into the human problem to rescue us from our slavery to death. Okay? Uh, so let me just, you know what, probably the easiest way to do this is just do sort of a, a, a broadened paraphrase of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Sort of a translation slash expanded paraphrase of these two verses. Here they are. God gave us an amazing free gift in showing us how to live a different way than through violence and bloodshed. 
And while this new way of living is counterintuitive and seems to contradict everything we think we know about life, if we believe that what we have seen in Jesus is the true way to properly live life, then God will lead us into this new way of life. And this entire thing, this entire revelation, did not come from ourselves. We humans didn't think it up. We didn't come to this new understanding on our own, by ourselves. This entire revelation of the new way to live is a gift from God. So no one can boast that they thought this up on their own. It's solely and only from God. Okay? So that's Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And you see, it has nothing whatsoever to do about going to heaven when you die, receiving eternal life. And one of the proofs that this is the proper way to read these verses is the overall context. Remember, I've been talking about this over and over. Ephesians chapter 2 is in three sections, problem, solution, application. And the application section, verses 11 through 22, is all about how to live at peace with other people, uh, even when we traditionally have wanted to kill them. People of other religions, people of other races, people of other cultures, okay? Uh, These are the things that lead to war and violence and bloodshed and death. We see it happening right now in Afghanistan. Very, very tragic situation which could have been avoided. Okay? And now people are dying, and it's a horrible situation. And you see what's happening. As a result, people are calling for more and more bloodshed, because this is the only way we know how to live. But God has shown us in Jesus Christ a different way to live. And uh, so this is what makes Ephesians chapter 2 so important, so critical for our time. And it was just as critical in Paul's day as well, which is why he wrote this chapter. The problem, verses 1 through 3, is we humans live in a world of death. We only know about accusing and killing our enemies. Uh, But God, verse 4, stepped in and showed us a different way to live in Jesus. Uh, We didn't come up with this. We humans didn't come up with this on our own. Uh, He gave it to us as freely because he loved us by his grace. And we do need to receive it and accept it and understand it and walk in it by faith. Because it's so counterintuitive. It seems so strange. It seems so backward and upside down. But if we do that then God will show us how to live in this new way of life so that, verses 11 through 22, the application, we can now live at peace with one another as God has always wanted and desired and planned. And in this way, God's rule in world, heaven comes down to earth, God's rule comes upon the earth uh, in this world. Okay, and and, and so you see that this this explanation of verses 8 and 9 fits perfectly within the broader context of Ephesians chapter 2. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 2, especially verses 8 and 9, are not about how to go to heaven when we die. They are about how to bring heaven down to earth by living at peace with one another here on this earth. Okay, Jesus did that during his life, and God wants us to do that in our life as well. And in fact, that's exactly what Paul goes on to write about in verse 10 which is where we will pick back up again next week. Okay, thanks for joining me today. Hope this made made sense in our explanation of Ephesians 2, 8, 9. If you have any questions or comments, again, just leave those in the comment section of the manuscript section for this podcast. You can find that at redeeminggod.com slash Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, 8 through 9. Okay, all right, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week when we look at Ephesians 2, 10.